How's that? There we go. That's why Jared makes the big bucks. What was it? It was off. It was off. You're not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to make up some technical jargon. Man, what a great week. You guys had a good week? I had a really exceptional week. Uh, football's back in play. You guys ready for some Patriots football today? Nobody. That's too bad. That's just too bad. It's my pulpit this morning. No Chiefs fan needs apply. Hey, do you guys need a Bible? You want to get those into your hands? Just raise your hand. Colby down here in the front needs one. Check your neighbor. Make sure they got theirs. And make your way. Just briefly, we're going to be there. I'm going to bounce you all over the place today. So make sure your thumbs are working or your, your swipers on your tablets or phones, whatever. But make your way to 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to be just all over the place today. So it's going to be, hopefully, God's got his hand in it. Lord, we lift up this time to you. Pray you would bless it. Lord, thank you for the lives and the families that are represented here today. Lord, we pray that you would just meet us here, that you would speak through your word. Lord, and and uh, what you have for us, Lord, we would just uh, take home today and, and implement into our lives. Lord, we lift it up in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, right in the middle of your Bible... We find this collection of books widely known as the, the body of wisdom. Uh, there's a lot in there. It's the book of Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Job and the Song of Solomon. And the book we're going to really look at today, Proverbs, when we get there. Uh, Proverbs is an interesting book with its 31 chapters. It lays itself out to be a brilliant daily devotional. If you lose track of where you're at, just pick the date, you know, go to that Proverbs and absorb that information. It's really, really easy. And most of this book, you guys know, is penned by Solomon, King Solomon, son of David, the man after God's own heart, this entire legacy. Some of these chapters were compiled for us by Solomon, but nonetheless, the book was written or compiled, whichever way that is, by the wisest man the world has ever seen. And First Kings, where you're at right now in chapter 3, kind of gives us an account of how this wisdom came to be. And it starts off there in verse 5 of First Kings chapter 3. Now, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask. What shall I give you? <laughs> what an amazing question. And Solomon said, hey, you've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You've continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing 
And then God said, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, you have not asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but has asked, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I've done according to your works. I've given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And also I've given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall be not anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Wouldn't you love to be a part of that process in Solomon's life? Hey, what, what, what would you ask for? I'll give you it. Just name it. And he asked for the right thing, and God really blessed this man. And the rest, they say, is, is history. Solomon knew, as we just read there in 1 Kings, that, that this world that he'd been born in, this kingdom he'd been entrusted to, was more than he was capable of in his own physical standard, in his own intellect. And there wasn't an amount of finance available. There wasn't an amount of possessions available that would mean anything in this life if he wasn't able to lead the people that God had entrusted him to with a clear mind to make sound decisions concerning the people of God. I like the book of Proverbs. It really is a lot like the life I lead. It's really just this random collection of statements, short verses, without much context, without much organization. And Solomon recorded these things for us as he spent time with the Lord, seeking and asking God for wisdom, asking God for what he should be doing. And God simply, just like he does in our lives today, revealed to Solomon these amazing truths, and he wrote them down. He pinned them so that others could benefit from it. Most of them are only one verse long. You guys are familiar with this book. They're short. They're easy to understand. But we need to make sure that we don't take their length as they're not that important. They're huge for our lives. We need to meditate on these Proverbs and learn from the Proverbs. And finally, not just absorb the information, but apply Proverbs and the truths we find in them into our lives. And if we just spend a few minutes a day in the book and meditate, man, they expound in one simple verse, the Proverbs expound volumes of information. You could spend your entire life, just pick one verse out and we'll never grab the depths of it. And sometimes it really is the most basic things in this life that really change us the most. And Solomon doesn't spend a lot of energy in the book of Proverbs on theology. He doesn't expound a lot on the topics of salvation and sanctification. He's assuming that at this point we're all believers. I mean, how could you not be, really? <laughs> Especially if you're the wisest man on earth. You've seen things. You know things. But he really deals more kind of a how-to-do-life type of mentality. Dealing with everything that you may go through, from relationship issues, how you conduct yourself with your business, how you handle your finances, and of course, the obvious way to live for God and his purposes. And if we let them, 
if we would just let them allow the spirit to work, the Proverbs force us to reevaluate our choices, how we're living our lives, how to be the proper example, the godly example in any situation we may find ourselves in. We've been studying this book on our midweeks, 6.30 on Thursdays, a little plug there. Listen, I've gathered this morning just a few. I want to give you guys a snapshot, if you will, of some of the things we've learned in Proverbs over this last 20 weeks or so as we kind of go through this on our Thursday nights. I've compiled an amazing book, and I've shrunk it down into like what I've entitled today's message is Solomon's Greatest Hits. (laughs) And there's some great, great stuff in there. By no means a complete list. And we don't go down through the Proverbs and talk about everyone on Thursday nights. We just pick the ones, you know, that feel like, man, this is a really good point. This is something we overlook, whatever it is. And so we're going to move forward with that today. So you can make your way back to the book of Proverbs right in the middle of your Bible. This is a half a bottle of water. I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> I'm hopefully it's mine from Thursdays. So, yeah, if not. We'll see. (laughs) The first thing we want to look at is Proverbs chapter 21. You can flip, swipe, whatever you want to be, and we're going to look right there at Proverbs 21, verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Notice that little clue that Solomon drops right in there, given to him via the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. To do righteousness. So many of us live a Christian life, hopefully that's dedicated to what we feel God has called us to do. We know what we believe. We might not understand it all, but we know what we believe. And hopefully by this point in your walk, you're finding areas to put some feet to the faith. Find areas that you can bless those around you. That's important that we have those places in our life. And I'm not belittling that or, or anything. It's just, it's not just about doing those things alone. You read the book of James and you find this blend of, of faith and works and how they both kind of work together. It's really not an either or, it's both hand in hand. And God knows our hearts in this thing. That's the underlying context to every single thing we'll talk about today. God knows our hearts. That's true. We go to church. I love it here. Our family's here. We have our daily devotional time. We have our our midweeks. We have our Sundays. We find ways to do this stuff. We have our alone time with God, hopefully. You should have. Just you and the Lord walking around, doing whatever you're doing. We serve the body, both here locally on, on Sundays in different capacities. We have outreach for the community. We move as Christians, and we give up, really, a portion of our time. We, we sacrifice some of that time to do what we feel God has called us to do. Sacrifices that we gladly make, it's not, it's not a burden, it's not obligation in some way. It's, it's fun to really serve alongside of other believers and use your gifts for what God has called you to do. But to do righteousness both outwardly and inwardly, is really elusive. In Luke chapter 10, you can flip over there if you want. You don't necessarily have to. But it's a familiar story, hopefully, of 
of you guys are the Good Samaritan. You guys familiar with that story? You can raise your hand. Just, just if you, yeah. I was like, man, we're going to have to start all way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, no. Where this lawyer stood up and he said, hey, teacher, you know, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? That's a question we've all asked at one point. Or another. That's what the world is asking. That's what, that's what we've all been through. And Jesus said, well, hey, what's written in the law then? He's a lawyer. He would understand this kind of thing. It's, it's, it's written. What's written? How do I do what I'm supposed to do? And he said, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor. That's it, right? That's the two things we've had to do to inherit eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Love others. That's it. It's as simple as it gets. But he wanted to justify that in his own head. That scripture in Luke tells us, who is my neighbor then? And that's when the Lord starts to expound on this story of this man who had fallen into trouble. He was met by robbers or he was down on the ground. He was hurting. And the church, the priests, yeah, right over there. The church, the priests who were supposed to walk by, they, they, they kept passing him by. They went, even avoided this man because he was a Samaritan. He wasn't someone they wanted to associate with. He wasn't really a person they wanted to be kind of in the same company with, and they avoided him. But the Samaritan guy, sorry, got that all messed up there for a minute. Forgive me. The Samaritan guy, the, the scourge of society actually helped this man. He bandaged this man, and he got him back on the road. And Lord, the Lord asked this guy, then which one of these three, these two priests, you know, Christians, if you will, and this one lowly scum of the earth Samaritan, the one that helped the guy, which one is the neighbor at this point? And the lawyer's like, well, the one who showed mercy, obvious. It's an obvious point, right? It's not, it's not hidden. These aren't difficult concepts. And that's when Jesus said, go and what? Do. Likewise, do likewise. See, it's not just about our sacrifice and our service, although those are extremely important. But to be those people who are known because we do righteousness, those who will take action and do the right thing, even sometimes to our own hurt, those are the lives that God wants us to lead. Those who are in and out of the church constantly like we are, yes. But it makes no difference where we are at. Yes, this man was given a practical help. We can't deny that. He was actually, you know, forced and bandaged and all those kind of things. But the mindset of the Samaritan was so different than the church because the mindset of the Samaritan was to simply just do the right thing regardless of what was going on in his life or what people may think, or whatever, just do the right thing. Amen. Not just in service for God, although, like I said, that's important, but a life lived for God. In and out of these four walls, in and out of your home, 24-7, that's what God wants us to be, to do justice, to be those people who will stand for the truth when no one else stands. Those who will speak God's truth into this world, regardless of any growth in our own life, any benefit to us practically or even spiritually. Christians, we are needed now more than ever. How to blend this, this vertical faith 
that we love so much and the things that we benefit so much from just spending time with God and understanding his word. What an unbelievable message that is to our own heart and, and a power we face, but blending that vertical truth with a horizontal life. As we walk the plains of this earth and in the roads and our businesses and our schools, both of those things, the vertical and the horizontal in perfect sync, letting God grow us into the best versions of ourselves that we can possibly be. What a powerful, powerful witness we hold in our possession. And yes, it's scary. <laughs> it's difficult to stand up and do the right thing. It's difficult to say the right thing. But as a reminder, there's really no chance for failure if we're doing what God has called us to do. Solomon writes this for us in Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. And that's an unbelievable picture if you think about what he's saying. Our feeble souls and our fragile frames standing in battle, both in word and deed, against forces that we don't even know exist. Against principalities and powers as described in the scriptures. Those out there who wish to do us harm. But with God on our side, look at that. We have confidence. You can say what God has to say anytime, anywhere, any place. You can be as bold as you would like to be. Preach the word, the Bible says, in and out of season. With our words, yes. With our lives, yes. Everything working in sync. Do that kind of righteousness. We have confidence in those things. But we also understand that we get frightened very, very easily. It's hard sometimes to stand up. It's hard sometimes to speak out. And quite frankly, even though we may have the boldness to speak out, even though we may have the strength to stand up, there are forces out there that are extremely intimidating to look upon. True evil is not something that we want to mess with, and it's very frightening. And that's why the next half of that simple line of wisdom is so key. If that happens, if you do get scared, you have a place to go hide. You have a place of refuge. What an unbelievable truth that is. Yell all you want and then run back underneath the wings if you need to. What a perfect picture that is. Like that little barking dog that's out there in your yard, and as soon as you step out, it's gone. Be that little barking dog. <laughs> you know, those that don't, that, the little dogs aren't afraid of anything. But boy, they run when you come at them. You know, and that's the way we are sometimes. It's okay. The next item Solomon deals with is found in Proverbs 13, verse 4. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. He writes in Proverbs 19, laziness casts one into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. And he writes again in Proverbs 19:24, a lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. It's kind of a funny picture here when you think about it. I mean, provision has been made for this guy. I mean, he's got the bowl of food in front of him, Right? He's so lazy, he can't even lift his hand out of the bowl to feed himself. And as we studied this book over the last number of weeks, 
we've discovered that Solomon does not like laziness in any way, shape, or form. Solomon deals with laziness and its traps and the way that it steers us wrong all throughout this book. And this constant battle we face as human beings over, over preparation and, and, and labor versus sleep. <laughs> versus rolling on our hinges, as the Bible calls it. We know that laziness, unless you're just completely unaware of how the world works, we know that laziness on a practical sense gets nothing done. I've prayed God won't mow the yard for me. You know, I seriously have prayed those prayers. If he's done it for you, man, maybe you should take the pulpit. You know, I haven't been able to get that stuff done. I don't know why he made the grass grow like it did, but he did. It's probably the woman's fault, which Solomon has a lot of stuff on that too. You can read that for yourself. We're not going into that today. But listen, laziness doesn't benefit us at all. All. Everything that's normally wrong with our life is because we're just too lazy to deal with it. We'll put it off and we'll put it off and finally it's bigger than it was meant to be. But if it creeps, if that mindset creeps into our spiritual world, untold damage to our spiritual walk, unbelievable amounts of pain and chaos come from being spiritually lazy. It's obviously better just to keep doing the work. The great commentator Charles Spurgeon writes this about laziness in our spiritual way, in our spiritual walks. He says, the spiritual life is lived as though we were asleep if we become lazy. He once gave an effort to forsake sin, but just now doesn't follow through with it. In other words, he went right back to it. Spiritual life is hard and it's full of thorns because we let it get that way. Spiritual things seem long and dreary, kind of like this Bible study, right? No? You guys awake? Am I here right now? Okay. The Christian life is full of thorny perplexities, problems, and misery. You may find that your way to heaven is even blocked because of that kind of laziness. Whichever way you want to see this, it really doesn't matter. Laziness is never going to make your life easy. Now, there comes a day, praise God, that we can all rest. Paul writes in Hebrews that there remains, therefore, a rest. I love to rest for the people of God. And for him who has entered into rest has has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. In other words, you're going to die one day and rest. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter rest. That rest. What a powerful truth. Even though we're here working and things get hard, one day we get to take a huge break, an eternal break, where there's no more of this sorrow, no more of these things. But until that time, we are called to be children who are not known for our laziness. Yes, it's fantastic to be lazy. I plan on being lazy all day today. I'm going to plant myself in front of a TV Watch the Browns win. It's going to be an awesome day for me. Oh, I threw it in there, didn't I? Right in there. (laughs) This is the best time of year that you get to fight for something else, right? There's nothing like arguing about sports. I love everything about it. Until you come up to me with your hammers out and your hatchets, then get away from me. Anyway, listen. Until that time that God calls us home, we are to get to it and stick 
to it. How do we do that? Fortunately, Solomon writes this to get wisdom. In the first chapter of the book, he explains the intent of this entire piece of Scripture. He says there in in Proverbs chapter 1, to know wisdom. That's why this thing is here, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. It seems pretty straightforward that we need to know that kind of wisdom. We need to have knowledge that turns into wisdom and apply that wisdom. And Solomon lets, it, lets us know right off the bat how that's going to happen. And he goes on there in Proverbs chapter 3, My son, don't forget my law. Let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Listen, the first step in using the commandments of God and the will of God and applying the heart of God and his plan for your life is a very easy one. Don't forget. There are so many things in our life that would be easier if we just didn't forget. Important dates, anniversaries, birthdays. Four four maybe, five times, that's a rough estimate. A week, five times a week, I lose my wallet. That's no joke. I'm always looking for my wallet. I never remember where I put it. I'm always misplacing my keys. I have keys to everything in like quadruple cuts. Anybody else that way? The most terrifying thing is a lock for me with one key. Don't put that lock on anything. It's going to have to be cut off. (laughs) On and on and on we can go, but we forget. We're forgetful people. But Solomon says, hey, don't forget this word. Don't forget these things. That's an important one. If you want to use wisdom, if you want to gain wisdom, if you want to find direction and counsel and all those things he said that the book is intended to, just don't forget it. Remember those things that God has spoken. Solomon tells us there to bind them around your neck and write them in your heart. In other words, keep this book Keep these scriptures, these words of life, this God-breathed you know, collection of, of, of scriptures and of direction and instruction and admonitions and exhortations and all. Keep these things close to you as physically possible, internally, externally. Solomon gives us a picture here of like where are these things like a necklace, something that we put on a daily basis, something that we're proud to show that people want to be drawn to and find out. Those things cannot be options in our life if we're going to live as God has intended us. Job says this in 29, 14, I put on righteousness and it is what clothed me. Paul reminds us how important it is later on in the New Testament to put away those things. Put away those things that are damaging to your faith 
and instead put on the attributes of Christ. He writes there in Romans 13, cast off those works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, he says. Then he says this in verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word put on is a very definitive term. It's, It's an action, which means we don't have to put it on. We can leave it. You can not worry about it, but we have to put it on. If we're going to have any chance, any chance of victory, it's important that at the very least, at the very least, show up dressed and ready for the battle. Solomon knows it. Paul knows it. Job knows it. We should know it. If we're truly going to be children who walk With Christ, it's really a non-option. And I've discovered as an adult, and I know you have too, that there is very little in the day that I can control. Very little that I have control over. But getting dressed, spiritually speaking, I have 100% control over now. God may be preparing me for something I have no idea what's coming up. But we're so quick in the mornings to make sure we have everything ready to go, you know. We have, our, we, have our, we have our wallet, we have our phone in our pocket, you know, you check, you're checking everything, making sure. But sometimes we forget to put on those garments that we really need the most, the things that matter, the things Paul writes about in Ephesians. Take that entire armor, the whole armor, so that you can withstand in the evil day Having done all this to do what? Just stand. (laughs) Maybe we don't have to fight. We just need to be equipped for protection. Gird your waist with truth. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. And above all, take that shield of faith, which you quench all of the darts of the enemy. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit, which is the word. These are the things we need to be dressed and ready and move on and then solomon gives us this in proverbs 3 with all this stuff intact you trust in the lord with half your heart and lean completely on your own understanding oh wait i got that completely backwards all all your heart and none of your understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path don't Be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It's health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Trust in God. And he will direct. Short, short verses. But they contain a powerful truth. Why should we trust God in the first place? It's a very easy answer. He hasn't failed you yet. God doesn't fail. God doesn't have mistakes in his arsenal. He hasn't failed you yet in your history, and you can trust him for the future. There is zero excuse, and I'm preaching to myself because I function at about 72 to 75% of the time of 100% trust, but there's zero reason that we don't trust him 100%. And yet it seems to be the area that we falter in the most. But if we're going to trust in God, like true trust, 
100% trust. It has to be complete to put just half our trust in God and the rest in something else is really not trusting God at all. We're making a provisional trust. Well, if God doesn't come through, I'm going to rest in this. It's a horrible way to live. And there really is no basis for that kind of mistrust because we don't have anything but success in our life and guidance in our life. In the end of it all, Solomon knows the key. That kind of trust brings health to your life. It brings rest into your sleep, knowing that, okay, you guys have hands off the wheel. Remember that song, Jesus Take the Wheel? It's a terrifying song, isn't it? I don't recommend trying that, but you get the picture strengthens your core, strengthens your bones, as Solomon calls it. And as we learn to trust, we really do learn this simple truth that somewhere in there, God really does know what he's doing. (laughs) You look back and you're like, oh, that was brilliant what he did. Because I was going to go this way, and boy, it's just, we all have these chains in our life that are absolutely perfect because we trusted God. And in spite of what we may think what's happening, God is working things to our benefit. And really, I've said it for years, if God told you what he's going to do, let's go back 10 years, let's go back 20 years, 30. I can go 40. Do I get a 50? (laughs) Anybody go 60? Let's go 50. Now I want to be that young. I was only, I wasn't even born yet. That's a lie. I just lied in church. Listen, yeah, let's go 30 years back. If God had told you 30 years ago what he's doing to get you to this seat today, I almost bet you you wouldn't have believed it anyway. That makes no sense. I have no idea where Joplin is. I haven't even met my wife yet. Whatever that case may be, you wouldn't believe it anyway. So it's best at this point just to sit in the back seat and shut up, (laughs) you know, and we're going to get there when we're going to get there. Right, parents? Right? Shut up. I got this. I know where we're going. It's not important that you know. I know. Finally, as we move towards the close here, don't lose track. Did I skip a page, Shannon? No, I didn't. She yelled at me last time. You see up there? Oh, there she is. Hey. Hey. They're all over the place when I'm teaching because they don't know where I want to go. You all right? You're like, just get on with it. This guy knows nothing about teaching the Bible. Anyway, listen, finally, don't lose track. Don't lose track of the very simple fact that in the end of it all, God wins. Amen for that. Proverbs 11, Solomon writes this, if the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. Listen, there comes a day when God sets it right. He sets it right. He makes all things new. We go wherever that is. I don't know what heaven looks like. I have no idea. I just know it's not going to be hell. Great. I'll take it. You know, if we're all just a bunch of bubbles with faces floating around, I'll take it. I don't, I don't, I don't suffer well. I don't want to suffer. I don't want anyone to suffer. Listen, we know that this thing is wrapping up, and it seems like it's wrapping up rather rapidly in the last, you know, pick a time frame in your mind that you need to make sense. But it's wrapping up. 
We get so caught up, though, in the church. We get so caught up as Christians is trying not to do the wrong thing. We get so caught up in making sure that we try to do the right thing. Try to always say the right thing. Try to always not do the wrong thing. I don't want to offend, but I don't. Listen, we get, we get so lost in that. We forget the fact that the Bible is clear that Jesus is coming soon. There is nothing left in Scripture, nothing left in Scripture to fulfill. It's right here. It's just how patient and how merciful is God. He desires all men to be saved. Listen, hell is real. And those who don't accept that will suffer eternally. That is a terrifying statement. You know, praise God that we've been saved from that. Not that we succeed, you know, not that we're blessed, not that everything's better, not the bank account is fat or the car's faster, whatever it is, but we have been saved from that. And it's not our job to make sure that those who aren't don't have a way out. We are the way out. The enemy has and will, as long as we breathe, continue to convince countless souls countless souls on a daily basis that this is no big deal. Listen, it's a big deal. The church has to get busy, and we may be fragile humans. I get all that. We have lives, and God's not blind to that. But Jesus flips the table. He left, and he gives us the right to speak on his behalf. He said, it's better for you. It's better for you that I get out of here because I want to really do a work. I'm going to gift you guys with the Spirit. You're going to speak my words. You're going to act as I would act. Via the Holy Spirit, we, the church, are the message of the gospel. We are the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's a catch We have to deliver this with his heart, not our own. We have to deliver this with his wisdom. We have to use his words so that people will come to the saving knowledge of him. And I know that seems simple in a duh moment, but the the church has gotten off track and we're trying to draw people into people and we have all these new things we want to learn. Listen, Jesus says this in Matthew. You've heard it said, love your neighbor And hate your enemy. But he flips it. Hey, I say love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. That you may be sons, and I'll add daughters, of your Father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Listen, it's all just one big motion right now. As disciples of Christ, we do these things for the glory of God. I hope we do these things to make his name known, to bring glory to his name, to bring hope that, man, yeah, things may be bad or things may be good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good it is. It doesn't matter how bad it is. One day we get that rest. What a purposeful life we can live with that. We are the trees of life. We are the last words God is going to speak. And we can use those words. 
We can use our actions. We can use our finances. We can use our energies so that we can make the path as straight, as level, and as easy as possible for those who need to know about Christ. And one of the products of that that you all happen to be a byproduct of is someone somewhere somehow got to you, ministered to you, and maybe a brief conversation or a simple fact, and, and your soul was one for Christ. You decided, I want to believe that's a win for the kingdom of God. It takes wisdom to administer that kind of love. It takes wisdom to give that kind of effort and energy. We use the word win in romance a lot. We want to we we win. You know, you got to love people to win in romance. You have to battle to win in war. It's a competition. <laughs> it's, it's, it's us against the world, not against people. It's us against sin. It's, it's us against everything that would take someone out of the kingdom. Listen, just like Solomon opened this book with, I don't know what to do on those things. I'm not sure how I can say it any different. We have to have that kind of wisdom. God has entrusted this world to us. I have no idea how to do that. Solomon had no idea how to do that, but he prayed, God, just give me something. I don't want money, although I've heard good things. I don't want possessions, although I like stuff. I just want to be wise. I want to be able to do what you've called me to do. We'll recap this. Solomon says to do righteousness. Karen, you can come on up. You here? Where is she? Oh, there you are. Yay, come on down. No. Karen got saved. Yeah. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do righteousness. You know, put, put feet to it. Life is hard. I get it. Sometimes it's easy, right? Easy spots are great, but life is hard. Don't be lazy. Get wisdom and understand that in the end of it all, God's going to do what God's going to do. He doesn't change. He doesn't falter. He doesn't fail. In the end of it all, God wins. And the proper perspective of that in the church, in believers, as followers, not that we're going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect until we get that rest. But those simple truths equip us. You know, they give us the tools of battle, that armor that we spoke of, to stabilize us, to give us boldness, to understand that we have a place to run. All those things that Solomon wrote about, that's what the word has in it. The word will, will keep us where we're at. The word will send us where he wants us to go. And the word will let us minister to whoever God places in our path. Listen, it's time just to understand the importance of the word. And in the end of the last study we did in Proverbs there in, in verse in chapter 22, he writes this crazy little verse. He says, don't remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. And he was talking about, you know, in the day of property rights, they would stack rocks up or they would put this here and they understand that, 
You know, this property went to this stack of rocks and this stack of rocks, and no one really was keeping a record of that stuff. It really was just an honor system. We get all that. He said, hey, don't move this stuff around you. If the creek's on the other side of your boundary, don't, don't move the rocks over so the creek's now on your land. Just, just take the land that God's given you and enjoy it. We talked about on that Thursday of, of spiritually speaking, the, 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 the landmarks, the ancient landmarks that are in this, that there are certain things that God says do, there are certain things that God says don't do, and those cannot be moved. And the problem is we've moved them. We've set the goalposts to a different area. Now the game is changing constantly, and there are ministries out there, praise God, not this one, where the word is the word. It's the word, the word, the word. doesn't matter what we feel. doesn't matter what we read. What does the word have to say? How do we interpret it properly? That's what we do here is we study his word to make him known but there are ministries out there and there's a heart out there to take these landmarks and move out and expand or restrict boundaries. There are ministries who are super strict. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. And there are ministries that say, you can do whatever you want. Listen, both of those are equally wrong because the landmarks have been moved. And God's pretty clear, don't do those things. Just study what I've written if you understand it fully. If you move 100% in the correct actions of God, word, deed, thoughts, prayer life, he'll add to something else. <laughs> he'll give you something else. He won't let you run out. But listen, just those two statements of love God and love others will consume our entire life. It will consume our life. What a blessing that the Bible is so complex in living and growing, but it doesn't change, Right? It doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, forever. And God said, hey, one of these days, this is all going to go. This is all going to go. But one thing's going to stay forever. The word's going to stay put. I've established my word forever. Because God is his word. Amen? Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for this time today. Lord, I thank you for your spirit in the, in the lives that are here today. Lord, your spirit in this place and the way that you take things and, and, you, and you make them clear. The way you take distractions and you remove them, Lord. That uh, I just pray today for the, the insides, Lord. The outsides may be functioning well, but the insides may be in complete chaos. I just pray for that today, that there's lives here who... who are doing great spiritually and doing great outside, Lord, but just need that, that continuance and that, and that motivation to keep going, that there's plenty of work to do, and there's those who have just sat and need to get back up again. Lord, but there are those here today that, that haven't even made the first step. And God, you said that if you just confess and believe, Lord, that you would save. That's the truth of the Scripture. And we're here today. So I want to give you guys a moment with our heads bowed and eyes closed and hearts open. Listen, if you, if you know that you know today, not what I had to say, but what the word has to say, that, that Jesus is God and he came to this earth as a man and was, was crucified. 
Hey, but the good news of the gospel is he rose on that third day. And if you just believe that, you can have that kind of life. You can have that kind of stability. The Bible says you can have more than that stuff, more than you deserve. That's mercy and grace all wrapped up in there. You can have eternal rest and be saved from this, from this generation that won't believe. And God has made his attributes really, really clear to see. And so if you're here today and you know that you need that, that, that salvation that's offered in belief in Christ and that confession of sin, listen, I want to pray with you, but we need to know who you are. And you can just raise your hand for me. That'd be great. You can put it right back down. But just, I see you. Listen, the Bible starts to tell of things like heaven rejoices over one soul. And we can win one soul. And you guys are all product of that victory, but maybe not all of us. So is there anyone else before we pray and close today out? I see you. Well, God, I thank you for your salvation. Thank you for that, that washing and that cleansing that you offer, Lord, not by my means or, or by actions, Lord, but just by simple belief. And God, I pray that uh, each life and each family represented here today would take those things that are of you and implement those things and apply those things and trust in those things. You take those things that are of me and just, just burn those away and leave nothing but your truth and your word. God, I thank you for this time and this place and this freedom we have, Lord, to gather and worship you freely in spirit and in truth. Thank you for all the preparations today and the planning, Lord, that got us to these seats. I just pray you just equip us, Lord, in, in, in your word and, and in motivation. And Lord, wherever we're lacking, that you would fill those things. And Lord, we lift all these things up to you in Jesus' name. Pray you just gather us again safely next time. And Lord, we lift it up in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't we stand up? It sounds like a shameless plug, and it is, but Thursday night's at 630. We're in Proverbs chapter 23, if you want to read ahead. Uh, yeah, Jody's up here. Uh, we got some, I don't know, there's my wife, and there's some others. But anyway, hey, listen, we do what we do. There's a lot of stuff going on in the fellowship right now, both good and bad. But listen, if you need some prayer, these guys are extremely equipped to help you in that and get you on the right right path and you know be praying for you know pastor jeff and miss either down and, and branson celebrating their anniversary today so you know good for them it's a nice day of rest and so we lift up uh, our time today give us safe travels home and lord whenever you gather us lord you would speak and just Im implant these words deep within lord we lift it up in jesus name amen all right thursday at 6 30 oh